And today, what I want to focus on is as we come out of the old new normal into the new new normal, whatever that is, let's go back to basics. Let's ensure that we're growing in our love for God. And we'll be looking at a passage that focuses on that here in just a moment. First, this illustration. When I was growing up, back in the black and white era, vacations looked like this. A tent, a camping stove, and a trip to the great outdoors to spend two weeks. I developed a love for the outdoors through growing up in that way with my family, and it's always been my go-to choice when it comes to vacations. However, in 1971, still in the black and white era, I married my high school sweetheart, and when it came for time for our first vacation, our discussion began with a tent and a camping stove, but it didn't end there. You see, Charlotte was raised very differently. Her vacations growing up included travel, hotels, and restaurants. So, my love for the outdoors was satisfied, however, over the next years because my boys and my daughter all enjoy the outdoors and my sons enjoy hunting. So I've been able to get that in the calendar. But every year it takes some planning, some calendar management to get the hunting season in and scheduled and also some vacation time that, according to Charlotte, includes some San Diego beach time. Right? Okay. The reason, the purpose of that illustration is this. We work to fit into our lives the things that are important to us. We work to include the things we love. What we love affects how we live. And this morning, I want us to keep that in mind as we do complete this reboot series. I want us to focus on returning to our first love, having our eyes fixed on Jesus. As we take steps to re-engage in church life together, as things open up more and more from the pandemic, let us realize that what we love affects how we live. And we want to ensure that the greatest love affecting us is our love for Christ. May that be seen in our lives. And to do this, I'd like to look at one of the prayers of Paul, his prayer to the Philippians. It's in chapter 1, short little prayer, verses 9 through 11. I'd like to read that beginning in verse 8, actually, to give us just a bit of the context and to hear Paul's heart. So join with me in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. The word says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Do you hear his heart for them? And then he prays. He doesn't tell them. He prays for them. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you can approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So what I want you to walk away with today from this 
review, this message, this sermon on this wonderful prayer is this. What you love affects how you live. What you love, you'll find room in it in your life. What you love affects how you live. Let's let our greatest love be that of our Savior. And let's allow this prayer to help inform us and also maybe be a form that we pray for one another and for our church. Let's begin with prayer. Father, we thank you for the privilege. I thank you for the privilege to open your word and to serve these wonderful people with your word. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring forth the truth that is contained in here, that is to instruct our lives, that is to guide our thoughts, Father, and to be the prayer in our lips. Father, as we begin, Lord, I pray that here at Center Church, that our love would abound more and more with knowledge and depth of insight that we might approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, may your love be our greatest love. May our eyes be fixed on Jesus even more as these days come upon us. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Two points in my message today. The first point is this abounding love we see in the passage. Second point will be this abounding love's effect. So let's look at it again. Verse 9, and this is my prayer. And as I said before, Paul doesn't just tell them do this. He prays for them. See the power there? He prays for them in this way, that their love may abound more and more. Now, just a little history. Paul wrote this letter about a decade after he planted the church there in Philippi. And he's praying for them to have an experience of spiritual growth in their lives together. Now, the Philippian city, or Philippi, was a prosperous city. It's a commercial center in the ancient world. It was in the midst of a proud Roman culture that was both pagan and opposed to Christianity. Now, Paul is praying that the Philippian Christians would grow spiritually. The first petition here in Paul's prayer is that God would cause the love of the Philippians to abound you could say, or to overflow is implicated here, to be more than enough, to be extremely rich with love. See, that's where Paul begins in his prayer to them. He doesn't begin with the external challenges that they genuinely have. He's not praying here first for the difficulties in their pagan culture to be addressed or the oppression from the Roman rule to subside but for the love that they have as Christians to abound. See, Paul is praying that their love and passion for God would only grow as each and every day passes, that their love would abound, that it wouldn't be stagnant, that it wouldn't recede. And interestingly enough, as we look at that, as it begins, 
And Paul is saying, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more. And he talks about that and the effect of that, that it'll help us approve what is excellent and decisions that we make in life. But the object of the prayer isn't included. Is it to God? Is it to us? Is it to other believers? Well, I believe Paul's intention is that this abounding love, which is the mark of every Christian, is a love that first begins with God and then flows out to affect others. This is a love that goes both directions. It's a love for God that Paul is praying that God would make grow in us. Don't you love that? God gives us that love, and then Paul's praying that, Lord, the love you gave us, cause it to grow. We serve a wonderful God, a powerful God, that he make our love to grow and then affect all the parts of our life. And notice what he's not praying for. He is not praying that they would begin to love God. Why? Because they're Christians. You see, all Christians love God. Regardless of how you might well, I don't feel I'm loving God. If you're a believer, you're born again. You love God. You've been reborn. You're a new creation. You've been given the Holy Spirit. There's no question that the love for God exists. And Paul's praying that it would grow, abound. It is a reality. Paul is praying that this love residing in the Philippian believers would grow. And I would say, same for us. And then Paul prays that the love would abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment or depth of discernment or insight. But he says that, that your love would grow with knowledge. You see, this love that we have for God is born out of the knowledge that we have of who God is and what he has done. This knowledge refers to what we know about God what we understand about him from his word. Remembering what we know about God, reviewing what he's done for us, seeing again his love for us expressed in the glorious gospel, in his word, just blows on the flames of fire in our love for God. It causes our love to grow, our passion to grow, even abound more and more. So let's just do this together. Let's go, few, let's go through some of what God has done, just some, just the tip of the iceberg of who God is and what he's done. For example, he's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. As his word said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Amazing. The next one, he's adopted us. We are part of his family. His word says, in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. Amazing. He's forgiven us all of our sin. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of the flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. Continuing, he says, he understands our struggles. 
right? For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He invites us to come to him. Come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. He's our shepherd, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He's our mediator. He's ever interceding for us. He knows your name. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. These are not concepts. These are God's word communicated to us that we might know him and that from that knowledge of God, our love would flow forth to him. He gives us all sufficient grace. My grace is sufficient for you. Always available, continually being poured out. For my power is made perfect in weakness. If you feel weak, I do. His grace is sufficient and his power is perfected in our weakness. Continuing on, he will never let us be tempted more than what we can bear. Does it feel like it? No. Is it true? Yes. His word says, no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you might be able to hold up under it. He has a love for us that is steadfast. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. He has dominion over sin. For sin will have no dominion over you. For you're no longer under law but under grace. He's preparing a home in heaven for you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And continue. You know, some of the commercials say, no, don't try this at home. Well, try this at home. Continue. What else does the word say that grabs your heart? Romans 8, 31. If God is for you, who can be against you? He who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him for us all. How will he not, along with him, graciously give you all things? Or 1 John 4, I believe it. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Where is there that helps the knowledge of God's word help your love abound more and more? We have what the Philippians didn't. The Philippians had the presence of God in them. That was enough to abound in the love going forth back to God. We have his word. They had the words of Paul that was being preached, the letters that were passed around. We have the full canon. It's just more opportunity to see the love of God, the knowledge of this love. But that word knowledge doesn't stop with just the facts about God. It also refers to the experience with God. You see, we experience God when we read his word. We experience God when we pray. We experience God when we worship. And it's that knowledge of God that's who he is, what he's done, and how we enjoy his presence, see his presence, enjoy it, live it. That's that knowledge. And you can see how that can help 
our love abound more and more. A knowledge of the gospel, of what God has done for us through Christ, of who we are in Christ as believers. That's a God-focused love. That's a God-centered love. It's remembering our first love. As we remember God in this way, our love abounds. And then this love has another description to it. It's a love that has all discernment. Now that's not talking about all discernment that may exist for a situation, but the full breadth that this discernment, this love of God flows out and it has an impact on all of the different situations in my life that it gives me direction that I might approve what is excellent. I might make choices that are God-centered. Why? Because this love is flowing out from me into my life, from God into my life. That could be translated in this way, may your overflowing love give you insight. See, this flood of our love for God is channeled into our daily lives in this way. It's not just emotionalism or love that becomes misdirected or self-centered, but love informed with the knowledge of God himself. Paul is praying that this love becomes so great that it flows out to even affect the decisions and choices we make. It flows out into the way we interact with other people, especially those in the church, our brothers and sisters. Remember where we started. What we love affects how we live. What we love affects how we live. May our greatest love be that of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our second point, this abounding love's effect in verses 10 and 11. I'll read those again. So that you may approve. In other words, he begins again, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Why? So that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You see, with this, it's defining Christian love. With this Christian love, and only with this love, can they and we test things and see how they differ and therefore make the best choices in life. This prayer is asking that the Philippians, their abounding love would find its expression in wise actions, and that these actions would truly benefit others and glorify God. This abundant, growing love for God flows out in such a way that it has a foundational effect on our ability to choose between things, and being able to discern the things that truly are excellent. What that view is, is it's being weighed in what is just not permissible or passable, but what is viewed as excellent in God's eyes. Letting that be our goal, to be pleasing to God in all of our choices. And it has some other direction to here. We see in chapter 3, Paul is talking against the false teachers that have come into the Philippian area and affecting the church, bringing an attack against the gospel as it would relate to circumcision. And that there's more than just 
Salvation by faith. Well, Paul is wanting them to be able to discern when a false teacher is bringing somebody that doesn't line up with what they've been taught in the word, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he wants them, through their love, through their growing knowledge of God, through discerning, because of that knowledge, to be able to approve what is excellent. You see, what affects us in making our decisions and choices? We want the love of God to be our highest motivation. What has the greatest impact on our action, our decisions, and our choices? I had the privilege to grow up in a home that had a father that was a godly man and a godly example. He's not well known. He's not famous. You wouldn't see him in any reports. But he's a man who affected my life in a deep way because of his love for Christ. He died back in 2000 at age 75. But all of his life he was an example to me of a man with a growing love for God that affected his life and could be seen in his choices. He was a bivocational elder for 40 years. He loved my mom and was married to her for over 50 till he passed away. And he never missed a Sunday that I ever remember. And he dealt with a terminal illness with observable faith and died with genuine hope. He had love that affected his choices that you could see. May we be that way. Not like my father, but like Christ describes this love in each and every believer. See, in this particular prayer, as Paul is praying this for the Philippians, love is not the end, but it's a means to the end. The end is how we live. We're to have this love with knowledge and all discernment so that we might approve what is excellent. And what? So be blameless for the day of Christ. So it should be seen in our lives, in our activities, and our choices. And what Paul is saying here, that a growing love for God is indispensable in making those choices. This is why he prays for their love to abound more and more, to discern and to prove excellence. If we take a moment to review, what, what is the greatest love that has sway or impact on us in our daily lives? Or to ask another way, what are my greatest desires? Or what is most important to me in life? If we ask those questions, we can begin to see what's motivating us in everyday life decisions and discovering what love we may have that actually affects our lives. And just addressing us here at Center Church, I'd like to just encourage you. Over this last year, as your leaders, we have seen more often how your love for Christ was on display. Through a year that no one wants to repeat, that had unspeakable difficulty and trial in a myriad of different ways, what we saw were things like this taking meals to the, to the elderly, 
consistent Wednesday prayer every week for those in need, serving one another practically. Many endured COVID itself, but with a heart trusting God. Many had a job loss or job change, but all the while showing a tangible love for God in the midst of it. There were countless examples of spiritual growth during this season. In a recent small group that I attended, there were many testimonies shared, and there were one after the other after the other how God met them. Was there trial? Absolutely. Was it difficult? Yes. But that's not what the testimony was. It was God met me. It becomes that knowledge of God that allows our love to abound more and more. Church, well done. See, Paul's not giving us a list of what you should do. Like, okay, here are the excellent things. Make sure that you're doing this. As you do them, check them off and keep going down the list. He doesn't do that. But what he does do is he focuses us on a growing love so that the natural response to that is going to be seen in our lives. The pandemic brought into our lives a normal that no one expected. There are many things that had no, we had no control over that shaped our daily lives and our activities or even lack of activity. But life's returning to a pre-COVID normal, a new, new normal. And it gives us here an opportunity at Center Church to ask, what do we want our new spiritual normal to be? Remembering what we love affects how we live. Paul is wanting and praying for the Philippians to have a normal life that is defined first by a growing love for God and that this Christian love would powerfully affect their lives with this overflowing love that gives them insight. This insight results in approving what's excellent in the mundane, daily life choices that we all make. These excellent things are all the elements that are characteristic of maturing Christian discipleship. And we can't discern or prove them unless our love's abounding more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Paul begins this letter to the people he has great affection for, praying that this aspect of love would be their starting place in defining what's normal. Let's begin there as well. You see, one day there will be an accounting, and Paul mentions that in verse 10, where he says, And be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. However, if you read that and feel like in some way it holds out a threat of some kind, it's like, well, I need to get my act together before the day of Christ. You're reading something into the text that's not there. You see, Paul is praying for the Philippians to look beyond today as they live their lives. When he says to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, he's praying that they would live with the day of Christ in view. Now we've probably heard, it's been famously said of Martin Luther that he only had two days in his calendar, today and that day. So every day he viewed in light of Christ's return, in light of that day. How much 
that must have affected his choices, his decisions. And I believe that's Paul's intent. It's not to feel or make us be fearful of that day, but to anticipate it, to live for it, to look forward to it, to live today that's preparing for that day, because that day we'll see him face to face. With a growing love for God, we're becoming more and more like Christ each and every day. We're becoming what we will become one day when he returns and brings us home, holy and blameless in his sight. We can then anticipate that day with a love that's contagious, that affects the relationships around us. Is COVID contagious? It absolutely is. But the love of God is more contagious. When you see someone expressing the love of God and you see it in their service and you see it in their lives, it makes you want that. It makes you see it and honor the Lord for it. That's Paul's direction. See, Paul was a man who had a growing love for God. The church in Philippi was founded, the record of this, is in Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 11 through the rest of the chapter. It's a wonderful example of what happens, a persecution. Paul and Silas was the one that was with him apostolically. They came to Philippi. They came in response to a vision that Paul had seen where a man from Macedonia, which is the area Philippi is from, calling him to come. So they came. They found Lydia, a lady shared the gospel with her. She was saved. The church is beginning. And as they're ministering, there's a slave girl who's demonized that is, is just being a distraction to Paul, so he delivers her. But now her slave owners can no longer make money by her because she would have this prophecy ability. So went to the Roman authorities, they arrested Paul and Silas. They beat them. They threw them into prison. They were chained in what's called the inner prison. And then in verse 25, it says how they responded to that. Verse 25 says they were praying and singing hymns to God. Do you see how their love for God affected their actions? So what Paul's writing here Ten years later, when he pens this letter, there's experience of how God met them. Because following that prayer and that praise, an earthquake came, opened all the prison doors. The jailer ran down. He was going to take his own life because that was the penalty for losing any prisoners. But Paul said, nope, stop. We're all here. The jailer fell on his knees. The jailer was the man from Macedonia calling in the vision and said, what should I do to be saved? Can't you see that how our love affects how we respond? And Paul, he doesn't see himself as arrived. Philippians 3, verses 12 to 14 says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not 
consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straying forward to lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. May we press on. May we say this one thing I do as I press on. See, Paul sees himself as a work in progress just like we see ourselves. But there's a confidence that Paul speaks of three verses earlier is a confidence that we should all share where he says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Christian, God is at work in your heart and your life. There's the love of God resident in you. Pray that it grow, abound more and more. And because of that love and knowledge of God, it flows out, it affects your choices. And those affected by your choices, those seeing your choices, are drawn to be amazed at the God you love. And then Paul ends this prayer giving glory to God saying, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God, to the praise, to the glory and praise of God. So all the good is because Christ is in us. But Christian, Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And that fruit of righteousness is there. Let's pray that that's what we experience and those around us see and get drawn to a knowledge desire to understand more of God. So, in conclusion, just application. Again, we find time for what is important to us. What we love affects how we live. Let's let our greatest love be the Lord. Charles Spurgeon had this short little illustration that I'll Read, it says this. When Farmer Brown met Farmer Smith in the market one day, he said to him, Farmer Smith, I can't think how it is you find time for hunting. Why, man? What with sowing and mowing and reaping and plowing and all that, my time is so fully occupied on my farm that I have no time for hunting. Smith said, Brown, if you liked hunting as much as I do, if you couldn't find time, you'd make it. So as we look at our expression of our love for God, let's look and be as this farmer. Let's make it. Wherever you are in your pursuit of God in prayer, wherever you are in your walk with God, let's pray that our new normals after this pandemic be one that would be and show spiritual growth in growing our love for God. Because what you love affects how you live. Let me conclude with a verse from a song we sang earlier that just expresses this love, I think, in a wonderful way. O Lord, my rock, my redeemer, greatest treasure, of my longing soul. My God, like you, there's no other. True delight is found in you alone. Your grace, 
a well too deep to fathom. Your love exceeds the heaven's reach. Your truth, a fount of perfect wisdom, my highest good and my unending need. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of prayer. And Father, we pray. I pray for myself. Father, and lead this prayer, Lord, together with Center Church. And we ask that our love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. That we would approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, thank you for that prayer. We ask for a greater, abundant outpouring of your love, and we pray that it affects our lives. And Father, we pray for a lost and dying world out there, that they may see and be drawn to the glorious Savior that we know and love. So, Father, it's in your holy name we give thanks. It's in your name we pray. Amen.